0: Look, you think magic is some terrible vice? It's so bad that you need rehab to get clean. It's not. Magic isn't heroin, Julia. It's a gift.
1: Oh, God. Please don't say from God. I'm not the guy outside the YMCA yelling at people to repent. And what are you, Richard? Okay,
0: what we call magic is a set of tools
1: left over from creation. Think about it. The power to bend reality, to make and unmake. Won't God be pissed if touched his tools without asking? God. Gods, really. They don't do things by accident.
0: The tools were left for us to find. Right. But what I'm saying, you don't have to take my word for it.
1: see it for yourself. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. Uh, We're here this week to talk about episode 108, The Strangled Heart. This one is written by David Reed. Um, So he often gets a story editor credit, but he's written a number of episodes as well. Um, And there's a lot that goes on in this one. It's our first introduction to Richard. It is (laughs) the end of the very short-lived Mike. Um, (laughs) It is... um, the sort of aftermath of two sort of relationship screw-ups between like uh, Quentin and Alice and between um, Katie and Penny, um, and of course Penny's heart gets strangled along with poor little rabbits. Uh, so I think we'll start with our normal question. Danny, what did you think of this episode?
0: Oh. Uh-huh. I'm glad Mike's gone. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why am I not surprised that you said that?
0: I hated on him a lot in the the last week, so I'm just picking it up. Um, (laughs) I actually really like this episode. It's kind of like a calm before the storm episode, for sure.
1: Yeah, I felt that too. I didn't. I didn't remember a lot of details from this episode, but watching it again, I thought it was one of the stronger ones that we've seen from this season so far. Yeah. Um, And uh, I remember we were talking last week, and and we'll get into it more as we get into the episode, about um, Richard, and you were saying that you, like, really hated him at first. Um, And I get that, but I think, like, especially watching, going back and watching this after seeing season two, there's a lot of there's a lot of like nuance that I missed the first time around that I feel like exactly. I'm
0: catching. Exactly. The actor's really good at playing Richard. I think that's something that I that I realized that he's so good because like especially in the second season he just with that one episode where he flips back between the two characters that he plays, he's really good.
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, the clip that we just played, the clip we started with, um I think is a really great Richard clip. Um and uh it really calls back to the books in um in a very tangible way. So in the books there's this big dinner party um between uh Quentin and Alice and I think Elliot and Margot are hosting, and they invite Richard and uh Josh and is Anais there or is that later that we meet Anais? I bl- I
0: believe she is.
1: Right. Um, and it's the first time we really meet Richard, and Richard is introduced as this character who is, like, kind of douchey and pompous um, and and very religious in, in an unusual way. And Quentin sees, like, Margot fawning over him and, like, really looking up to him in the same way that, like, Quentin looks up to Elliot and Margot. And he just doesn't get it and feels, I think, kind of, like, affronted by it, too. Um, so, like, in this introduction in the show, it's a little bit different. Like, Richard is still religious. He's still Christian. He's still, or maybe he's not Christian, but he's still religious. And he still has this, like, uh, very tools of the maker view of how um, of how magic came to be and how it works. But the details are different. like, they, they pull together in interesting ways, and things that I, like, I didn't notice even in the books, like, you know, he says he thinks that the gods left magic on purpose, and that is basically how he gets Julia into the whole mess, into, like, the free traders, but also into, like, a lot of the plot points later on that really lead to trouble in the, in, for her in season one and for everyone in season two, um, and like the way he's wrong is is that that he that he thinks they did it on purpose mm-hmm. um so I don't know that really like called out to me,
0: yeah, it's like the first introduction in this series to like where magic comes from and gods mm-hmm. in general. so I think it's yeah. a kind of important episode in that respect um. I don't know, I, I love sassy Julia in this episode too She's really sassy with him, it's hilarious
1: She is, she takes like, she takes no crap from him And actually, maybe maybe that's a a good point to play the other clip That um, Danny and I were trying to decide between which one we should put at the beginning Because uh, I think this is like a great sassy Julia moment Actually, oh god, wait, no, I have so many I'm going to play a different one I'm going to play a shorter sassy one uh, This is maybe my favorite clip in the whole episode Dear Quentin. Thought you should know I gave up magic. You were right. Thanks for nothing. And go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, I made that a, into a ringtone. So uh, if anybody wants that, just hit us up on Twitter. I can find a way to get it out there. <laughs> but yeah, she really is like, she's so full of sass. And she's so full of like, I don't know, just bitterness. She's She's like raw herself.
0: Yeah. She's detoxing and it's fitting.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's letting all her toxins out into the world verbally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, yeah, tell me tell me the other things you thought about this episode.
0: Um well, it's Penny like almost dies. Yeah. Uh, that's intense Uh, I thought it was a pretty intense episode But, like, also pretty tame at the same time I think it starts out really tame And then just gets super intense out of nowhere Um
1: Yeah, I think I know what you mean, right? Like, it I,
0: I really don't like Elliot in this episode, though Like, Uh, he Hale gives a beautiful performance Yeah But the fact that he just, like, straight up opens up to this guy That he doesn't know Like, that's so out of character Elliot is super out of character.
1: I agree. And I think that's why I noticed that it was such a good performance. Like, when I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, yeah, like, Hale is doing an amazing job. This is uh, so different from how we've seen him before. <laughs> and, it, like, that's part of it. It's like, this is a totally different character, and Hale is still managing to play him and, like, at least find some way to connect them.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just like, Elliot even says, like, that he's only told Margo. And I was like, there's just no universe in which he would tell some random person that he's been sleeping with over, like, say Quentin. Like, if he hasn't told Quentin, why would he fucking tell this random person?
1: I know. And the thing is, like, he has told Quentin some pretty deep and dark things about his upbringing, right? Like, he told him in, what, was it like the second episode about how he, like, killed that dude? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh. Is it the second or is it the first? It might even be the first, yeah. So, like, pretty fucking early on he tells Quentin that. But, like, yeah, watching these back-to-back, which I guess I still did, right? Like, I watched them a week apart just like I did the first time. I just, like, I kept feeling, like, oh, Mike dies. What a trauma for Elliot. But also, like, blah, blah, blah. He's known him for, like, a fucking week. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I feel like they just wanted to get, like, not specific Elliot like out like the like the hardcore like fucked up on drugs like first goes to Fillory like Elliot because he's kind of ha- he's in a downward spiral when they go to Fillory in the book and he yeah. even s- has a moment where he tells Quentin like this is exactly what he needed and he just starts to feel more alive and
1: yeah and he need right like we need to have that moment where like Elliot has Fillory to fix him.
0: Yeah, and he has no reason to do that if they don't like give him drama, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It just for for me it's just so it's not believable drama because because it's been no time and because there is nothing about I mean, I guess they have that conversation, right? Like Elliot and Mike have that conversation about how Mike is boring. <laughs> but I still don't really feel like like And then
0: and then they also just like play with the fact that it's like was never Mike to begin with Like mm-hmm. I it's just like wow like, Yeah it's even, It makes it worse to me
1: Yeah I know what you mean It's it's just I don't know Like you, you sort of have your heart broken for Elliot But also Like if they were gonna make If they were gonna like take over some random dude's body And like make it into a lover For Elliot they could have at least made him An interesting lover for Elliot I know <laughs> I remember that, like, so go ahead. I also realized
0: that Margot's gone for, like, three episodes this whole season.
1: I remember that from the first time around, because I remember being like, what the, like, what the hell? Like, because it was right when she started getting really good lines, and they started, like, using her more, and then she's just gone. (laughs) Yeah, like, she's gone during the um,
0: World in the Walls episode, and Mm -hmm. then she's gone for another two episodes after the Ibiza trip. Yeah. I wonder if that has something to do with just like her schedule though. Not. Oh, variety. I'm sure there's
1: I mean, I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure there's some like legitimate business reason or whatever, but it still sucks because she like I, I feel like uh Margot was getting so much growth and so much she she was becoming such an interesting character like right around this time. Mhm. Yeah. Um oh, so let's talk about Penny cuz Penny goes through some shit. Um. <laughs> Penny. Penny's constantly going through shit That's true um, But like in this episode especially And it's so funny like having just gone back And like again like Coming from season 2 uh, <laughs> Like Penny went through some shit In season 2 as well And like spent a lot of time in that same Break Bulls hospital Yep, yeah.
0: <laughs> He likes that hospital
1: <laughs> Yeah One thing I really liked was the conversation between Quentin and Alice when they're, like, well, there's a lot of great conversations between them, but, like, when they go and try to figure out, like, what is um, Penny's most prized possession, what's the thing that, like, means the most to him? Um, And I really like it because they're, like, so, they're, like, being children at each other. They're, like, sniping each other, like, no you, no
0: you! (laughs) Alice is like, heart set on thinking that it's, like, drugs, and Quentin's, like, what the fuck, no one, like, would consider drugs to be, like, the most important thing to them.
1: Yeah, and, like, it's this great moment where I feel like uh, Alice is so, like, stuck in her anger and her frustration that she loses the ability to, like, she just loses track of her insight. And I really love that, like, Quentin is, like, that. that's one thing that Quentin really contributes is he brings her insight back to her.
0: Well, Quentin's, like, very empathetic. He picks up yeah. on things. But I think it's because he's a watcher. Like, he always watches people and he always, like, picks up on things. And, like, that's, like, the thing. Like, uh, I mean, in the second season, like, Ember, like, says, like, you always surprise me, Quentin. Yeah. Like, he is a very surprising character, I think, to all of all of the characters. Like, they find him very surprising because he's always like helping them or, and he just like, he doesn't expect anything out of it.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about, um, the, that first interview we did with Lev, where we talked about how like a lot of people criticize Quentin or say that they don't like Quentin because he's self-absorbed, um, or whatever else, and um, Lev's response was like, "Yeah, it's true that he's self-absorbed, which is really like a side effect of depression. It sort of makes you focus on yourself. But I think the other side of that is exactly what you're saying. Like because he's depressed and he's anxious, he's constantly paying attention to what other people are thinking and what they right, like how they're perceiving him and how they're acting. He's like very sensitive to their moods and. As much as as much as like being depressed and anxious can make him like turn in to himself and really be focused on himself, it also lends him that insight about other people and gives him a lot of that empathy back. Yeah.
0: Like I mean, with mine, I'm always constantly just like if I see someone in a down mood, like even if I don't know them or I don't really particularly like them, I'm still gonna be like, Hey, like, are you doing okay? You don't seem like you're doing okay. Like,
1: yeah, it gives you that ability to
0: pres- to see it.
1: Hmm.
0: Whereas like other people, it's just like they just don't notice.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Quentin notices everything. Um, yeah. And you see that over and over again too, right? Like he is always. He's always coming up with with the answer, even though he's not the smartest person in the room, even though he's not the most hardworking in the room. He's the person who like ends up coming up with these answers and I don't like, it's not because there's anything sort of inherently special about him. It's because he's paying attention on a level that a lot of people aren't. Yeah. So I really liked that. Uh, I also just liked that, um, that afterward when they're, when they're burning the the chocolate bar wrapper, which is, is so sad, but also obviously like the right thing. I love that when Alice, sees that it is actually fixing penny when she sort of sees that um quentin has that insight that he was right like that's when she reaches out and just like touches his hand and that's all they need to like know that they're okay yeah um i had a question for you uh my local astrology expert which is why do you think it's called the virgo blade I
0: think that has less to do with astrology and more to do with constellations in general, um, which I don't know too much about. uh, Because there's the Leo Blade and then the Virgo
1: Blade. Oh, what's the Leo Blade? I don't... The Leo Blade
0: is the master magician when to kill a god, I believe.
1: Oh, right. Oh, cool. I wonder... hmm. What's the one called in the book? In the book? I don't remember. I don't remember if there was... A special name for it. It might have also been the Leo Blade, too. Um, my Kindle's in the other room, so I can't check. But... Ah, I didn't catch the... I forgot that the other one was called the Leo Blade. Didn't I was he... one...
0: Didn't they call it the Leo Blade, though, because of the stones that it was made out of? Mm, I don't remember. I thought it had something to do with that. I don't know. If anyone else knows, they should let us know.
1: Yeah, tweet us. <laughs> um, so i I had a speculation about this in part because like so much of this episode comes back to like this theme of control, right like the 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 wound from the virgo blade like literally strangles your heart it like works its way up and like essentially chokes you and like Eliza um makes that comment uh to Quentin about how what what the beast wants is control um and I was wondering if like Uh, There's a popular perception of of Virgos, um, that we're all control freaks, which at least for me is true, but, (laughs) um, there's,
0: there's that, but, um, Virgo represents, um,
1: there's all the communication stuff.
0: Virgo represents scales, I believe. Like that's like Mm. the the symbol. That's Libra.
1: That's Libra. Virgo is the virgin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Virgo, yeah, the Libra. I was like, if it was scales, then I could say it's like a a balance thing. Like to <laughs> to, to give up to like hear him or whatever they need like equivalent exchange. Yeah, if that doesn't work. Then
1: uh... <laughs> we'll we'll come back to this. We'll we'll have a we should we should come back and like with an explanation of what all the blades would mean if they existed. The Leo blade and the Virgo blade that do exist, and then like. I don't know. What would a Pisces blade be? <laughs> uh, wet.
0: <laughs> very wet. Wet. Good for fishing. Also, um, it's like wet and uh, probably like full of emotion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wet and full of emotion. Oh, we should give that one to Quentin.
0: <laughs> Quentin's a cancer, which trust me, I makes know. so much sense.
1: <laughs> oh no, I, I am a hundred percent on board. He is an INFP cancer, and that's no one can convince me otherwise. <laughs> uh I don't
0: think okay. he's no, yeah, that would make sense. Because the J, he's definitely not really a judger. It's more
1: No, well, and I think I think Alice is the INFP. The so <laughs>
0: That's true. I don't relate to Alice all that much. Naima and I Am Jay, though. Well, you know. <laughs> I relate to her in, in, in a- some aspects. Yeah. But.
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, so we had some we had some questions. Uh, oh, yeah. Before we get too far away from Elliot, um, we had a couple questions about Elliot's background. So I-, I will play the clip about his background really quick first, and then we can get into those. I
0: was... Born in Indiana, on a farm. My parents are
1: farmers. Indiana, I—I I thought you. Of course, you did. <clears throat> Becoming me was the greatest creative project of my life. So, FYI, no one else here knows except for Margot, and that's only because she was my secrets partner in the trials. Everyone else, I kind of let them go on thinking I grew up summering with Kennedys, etc. <laughs> uh, I, I love that little etc. at the end. It's just like one of the things that makes the writers so great is they right. Like that's that's a way to make that line a line that's Elliot's and not just a line that's like anyone like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's a the- there's a theory going around that he's Amish, and I'm just like,
1: well. So that's what one of our questions is about, and it comes from Logan, who is the author of that theory. Uh, and I actually, I think it works really well for show, Elliot. I don't think it works as well for Book Elliot, um, and I did ask Lev about this, and he was like, well, Book Elliot's from Oregon, and I don't know if there's a ton of Amish people there. Uh, so I'd say not, like, hard canon for sure, um, but I kind of like it. Like, the way that Logan talks about the theory, it basically goes like this. Um Elliot was Amish and, like, his parents were super repressive and they saw him as this, like, effeminate, um, I mean, as an effeminate, uh, like, gay male and that wasn't something that they could accept. And so, basically, like, Elliot, uh, runs away from his family and, like, feels, uh, basically, like, tries to be everything that they're not, like, Um, but it's sort of like a rebellion thing and also a coming into his own.
0: I don't think they wrote it that way. Um, I don't know why they chose Indiana. Um, farms probably from Oregon, but Oregon's (laughs) have farms too. And he,
1: he
0: was just, I didn't see it that way. Uh, the funny thing about Oregon is that a lot of people just assume that it's very liberal because Portland's mm-hmm. like the biggest part of it.
1: and But yeah, like outside the cities, not at all. It's
0: not at all. So, um, I don't, like I never took it that way and I don't take it that way in the show. I take it as that I still think his parents were deeply religious, but I don't think they were Amish, especially because if he was able to wear the clothes that he was wearing when he was younger, mm. he couldn't have been Amish.
1: Well, I think that I think Logan would argue that he wasn't able to do it when he was younger. But yeah, I mean, I think he
0: kills somebody when he was 14. There's no way he ran away from home that young.
1: That's that's true. That's probably true. And doesn't he kill him while like waiting for a school bus or something like that? Yes. But a bus
0: kills the guy. (laughs) Um, That's why. That's why I was like, there's no way he's Amish. Like, (laughs) I like theories like that to an extent, but then they just don't feel they don't make (laughs) sense altogether.
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, in general, I mean, my my theory of theories is, like, it's really fun to have them, and, like, we we have plenty of theories that, like, fill some some gap in our understanding or, like, spring out of our understanding that still might not, like, completely go.
0: The only theories that are amazing... I, I love when theories do come true, though. Like...
1: <laughs> like when they become ha-
0: canon? Yeah, I don't think we've had any on The Magician so far, but like, say, like, Game of Thrones, like, there's nothing more pleasurable than watching mm-hmm. some of those theories, like, actually be true, especially in this last season that just aired?
1: Uh, I have not, wait, the last season that just aired? Did I, like, miss an entire season of Game of Thrones? That seems unlikely.
0: <laughs> like, um, I Daenerys finally making her way towards Westeros?
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that season. Okay, that was... Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. They, they just haven't aired a new one yet because it's taking forever to come. Like, it's starting in July rather than April.
1: Yeah, because um, they needed winter to come, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, they
0: they had to film during winter, so <laughs> they literally like, were like, okay, we're fucked.
1: That um, actually, that reminds me of one of my favorite things that I, I guess we'll we'll come back to in another couple episodes. The uh, bear? Of, yeah, the bear! <laughs> um, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, so uh, what is the name of the... Humble Drum, is that the name of the bear in the books? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, so the talking bear in the books in Fillory is named Humble Drum. Um, and it turns out that if you uh, try to film a bear in winter, it is not a very awake bear. <laughs> so pay attention as we go forward to see some... Uh, What they did with poor little Humble Drum
0: (laughs) They also Don't make the other animal talk Yeah that's true
1: There was was mention of a talking bear In this episode Honey something
0: Honey flower
1: Yeah I mean it was like an. It was when like Quentin was in the hospital Talking to like Penny And Alice about (laughs) About um The like fillery thing he like talks about he, there's some mention of a talking bear but
0: mm-hmm. i also like uh well i actually i really don't like something in this episode tell me that is when jane chatwin dies yeah yeah straight up murder i am I
1: thought, still confused I also thought about it that. became
0: so con- it's, it became personally in this episode it became so fucking obvious like who the beast was
1: <laughs> well well keep it to yourself just just in case anyone yeah, but they
0: made it so obvious like I agree honest to God, like I agree I mean they made it obvious that Jane and Eliza were the same person too like but I, That's true. I I felt like since episode one it was obvious but
1: yeah I agree I agree about that or at least since early on I mean well, if you've read the book friend, you knew who they were my friend
0: figured it out because like she hadn't read the book because she was just like well she's british <laughs> and she's the only fucking British mm-hmm. person on the show. So. Oh, hey, look. A British person. <laughs> I mean, they, it is, it's is—it's true. Like, they don't have anyone else that's British. And then all of a sudden, the villains are British. Yeah.
1: I agree with you about that in this episode, though. Especially when she's, like, delivering the speech about um, Jane's doll. Mm-hmm. It just feels to me very clear that they're the same person. Because she has so much emotion on her face as she's I doing it.
0: I thought they had revealed it anyways in this episode.
1: I don't I don't think they officially did I think
0: well I think um I, I don't think they I don't think they confirm it to say like Quentin or any of the characters but I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm almost positive that that Dean Fogg says something
1: that makes mm, it obvious to what her. do you think about Dean Fogg in this episode by the way I thought it was so interesting like how much he was struggling with with not having magic
0: he has magic I
1: thought Well, he does, but he, like, you know, because his hand is just coming back, he was struggling with casting until basically the very end of the episode. That's why Elliot has to save him, right? Because he can't, like, hold the spell Mm -hmm. long enough to, like, truly fend him off. Plus, the beast just,
0: like, gets him from behind, I think, too, so that
1: doesn't help. Hit. (laughs) I'm an adult. He
0: just... (laughs) And Elliot has perfect timing.
1: Growing up. Elliot does have perfect timing. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting, though. There there are a couple things that I'll get to when when we get to fashion, but, like, even just having the tiniest bit of Dean Fogg's backstory, like the stuff about how he taught himself magic when he was four with no prompting, Mm -hmm. that's, I didn't have any expectation of that from Dean Fogg. Like, in the books, he's such a, I don't know, he's just such a, character like caricature of a dean of like a headmaster yeah. um and i don't know and like i always thought of him as being like a probably a mediocre magician who just happens to be like a, a decent bureaucrat <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um so there's something really interesting about him having been like basically a magical prodigy like not even elliot like elliot's first notion of himself of having magic was at 14 Um, and I don't, I mean, it's hard to know with Alice because her parents are magicians, but, like, to think that Fogg figured it out for himself with no context when he was four, that's pretty incredible. He couldn't even read, but he could, like, cast spells.
0: It reminds me of kind of, like, Harry Potter-esque magic. Like, they find out pretty young that they're magically adept.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... But I like that that's something kind of unique to him. We should talk about Julia before we uh, wrap up our main episode talk. So I I think this was a really great Julia episode. You know, I've been complaining over the last few that she doesn't get any good lines and she doesn't, like, I don't know. Like, her, her plot just seemed to be, like, trucking along and not going anywhere.
0: I don't know. It, it's so fitting to Julia, though. Like, even though her, mm. it was, like, barely trucking along, she was constantly being like derailed by something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um and there were things like I really liked this episode because I felt like she she got to like come into her own. She got there got we got to see more of Julia as Julia um In, like, her interactions with Richard, but also, like, her... She sasses Marina at the beginning of that. She writes that letter to Quentin where she's just, like... I don't know. She's, like, super bitchy, but also very, like, authentically herself. Um, Mm -hmm. And it feels like her plot is going somewhere again. Even though she's only in one place. Like, in almost every other episode, I think more happens to her. But it hasn't felt like her... It hasn't felt like her story is being told up until now. Yeah. What did you think?
0: I liked her storyline. I definitely like it more now uh, Hmm. after seeing the episode several, several times. (laughs) Um, Like I remember liking it. I loved seeing like the like floating Julia scene. Um, Yeah. I like the, I don't know. I like her sassiness for sure. Yeah. You kind of get a bit of her relationship with like everyone in that same episode.
1: You do, and that's really nice because I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like up until this point, a lot of what we've been seeing is like, we've been seeing her as it, yeah, just as it pu- pushes other people's plots forward. Like we've seen, we've seen her relationship to Quentin as it applies to Quentin, and not so much as it applies to her. So it was nice to see like some. Yeah, to have like a Julia Forward episode that is really about her in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I like all her speeches, right? Like so she has the she has the speech that we played at the beginning. She has um the speech that she like basically gives to to Richard after she casts the spell. Like I loved what she said about how she felt like the the spell was casting her. Mm-hmm. Um it really felt like the first glimpse we have of um like, Julia as a really serious magician, as somebody who, like, feels, like, feels called to it instead of just feeling addicted to it.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful moment, even though, I guess, with, with knowledge of what happens, <laughs> it kind of makes it sad. Um, but it does, like, there's very much, like, this message of, like, magic is is her destiny and she very yeah. much feels it she has speeches about it but like you definitely see it then and i i mean you see it a little bit in katie's mother and the, like the last episode says something about how like you're the real shit like i can i know it like people yeah, constantly, yeah. people are actually constantly telling her that like even marina's like you're very like you're very advanced like you're picking it up like really quickly
1: Yeah, and Marina makes that comment to her in this episode about how, like, she doesn't generally like people, she doesn't generally open up to people, but she feels connected to Julia, and she likes her. Um, Which, you know, Marina sucks as a human and really sucks at showing friendship if if she feels like she's close to Julia, but it's, you can see that she, that there's something unique and special about Julia that other people are drawn to her. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've said a few times that you really identify with Julia. I wonder if you'll tell our listeners a little bit about like, what are the things that you identify with about her?
0: Oh man. I don't even know. Like, it's hard to explain why I identify with Julia. I just feel very kind of close to her. Um, I feel like I've known her struggle. Like I actually, um, I was going really, really deep into astrology one night, uh, because I couldn't sleep and like there's so many more like signs than other like you can get really thorough birth charts like there's something yeah. called there's something called your midheaven which is hard to explain but it's supposed to be like your destiny and the one for mine was like literally sounded just like Julia and it was like really creepy and I was like dude hmm. it's Julia except like minus the magic part you know but it was basically just like you're someone who's constantly like fighting every day, and, like, always just throwing, like, the shit out of the stick, but, like, you have to, like, like, it's all about, like, perseverance, Yeah. and, like, getting through, like, the shitty part to get to the good part, and... Like, that felt, like, so much like Julia. Like, I can't explain it because I would have to, like, read you the exact description. I was like, oh, my God, it's Julia. And I remember even showing it to, like, Killian. She was like, oh, my God, it is Julia. (laughs) Uh, I think it's, like, there's moments where I'm very much Quentin and I let my, like, depression kind of, like, destroy me. And... Other moments, though, I, like, fight, like, how, like, Julia does, or I'm, like, a sassy little bitch. And
1: <laughs> I think that's a really good point, though, that, like, one of the things that distinguishes Julia and Quentin is, is basically, how, right, they're both depressed, but it's, it's how they respond to that depression and how they respond to their circumstances. And Julia really is a fighter. I mean, she just, she will let nothing stop her. Mm-hmm. Um, and even this, in this episode, where like, basically... Where Where she has tried to do that, right? Like she has she feels defeated by everything that's happened to her. She goes to rehab. She gets like the slightest glimmer of hope, and she's back and she's like, yeah, I, I just gotta I, I have to do this. Um, mm-hmm. um yeah, so the the other speech that I really liked is, um the very first thing conversation she has with Richard, so I'll play that really quick
0: those of you who don't know me way too well already, I'm Richard, I'm the chaplain here, and I will try to make my thing today uh, brief. (laughs) No matter why you started using, if you try hard enough, you can get clean. You can change everything about your circumstances, but the one thing that won't have changed is you. Same head, same heart, same mistakes. Mm -hmm. Don't no like to hear it, but we need something or someone to lean on that is bigger than ourselves.
1: Just say it. God.
0: Well, that's one way of putting it. You
1: know, there's a word.
0: When you lean on something,
1: a crutch. <laughs> Replacing drugs or booze or porn or whatever with a higher power is just swapping one crutch out for another.
0: Well, that is a bummer way of looking at things.
1: Why don't you just tell these people the truth? Maybe we just need to accept the world for what it actually is.
0: Well, what about making the world what we want it to be? You know, with a little effort, a little
1: faith. Give a man hope and a nickel. He's got a nickel. I love that line. That's something my my advisor in grad school would have said. He, he used to say a lot of times, like, um, I mean, things like that. So, like, uh, if you, uh, like, if you have hope in a buck fifty, you can buy a cup of coffee or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I also think, right, like, I don't know. I felt like she was talking to herself in that almost as, she, as much as she was talking to Richard. Like, she's trying to convince herself that all of this is bullshit and that there's nothing bigger out there because she's trying to give it up.
0: Yeah. That's what I think. Um, yeah, like, what she's saying, though, like, it reminds me of, like, Marxist and, like, Marxist theory of, like, hmm. religion is an opiate to the
1: masses. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely, I think she's definitely taking that attitude that, like, this is just a way to, like, turn the blinders on things. And you can understand why that would be, right? Like, she does know that there is something out there that's bigger magic and as she's saying, like God is just a way of replacing whatever it is that is already bigger to you in your life.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it it makes me think of also like what Margo says like later in the season that Alice says in the books about how like, like with Quentin and magic, like how he like believes in magic. Like, yeah. Like everyone knows it's real, but he believes in magic.
1: Yeah. That's always, that's always one of my favorite lines in the book. Um, is, is just that scene between... I mean, it's Alice and Quentin in the books, but, like, the... You actually believe, and he says something like, um, well, yeah, of course I do, and she says, no, but you actually... Like, you believe. We, The rest of us know magic is true, but you believe. He says something like, is that so unusual? And she says, yes. And it's just such a simple conversation.
0: It makes me think of also, like, uh, Peter Pan and, and believing.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It, like you get to see when you see it through Alice's eyes, and when you see it through Margot's eyes too. In the in the show, you just see how much of an idealist Quentin is, and how much of a right like that is his real superpower is that he is capable. He, he's capable. He's capable of hope. He's like incapable of not hoping, incapable of not like seeing the best in people a lot of the time. Yeah. So I know you mentioned that you hated Richard when you first saw this episode. Um, and I don't i don't think we talked about that yet. But, like, maybe you can just say a little bit about why you hated him at first and what changed for you. I don't
0: you. know if it was necessarily the first episode. I really started to hate him more, <laughs> like, later. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really care either way in, in this episode that he first appears. Like, I was just like, oh, it's Richard. And <laughs> I was like weird that i thought i just found it really weird that he was intersecting with julia's storyline mm-hmm. that's the only thoughts that i had of, about him in this episode actually okay
1: well, well we'll come back to it then in a couple later episodes what do you think is it time to go to the fashion definitely i think it's it's time it's <laughs> okay Close to wrap up <laughs> yeah um so first thing i'll mention is just the thing that we learned from arjun first which is that uh after going to Breakville South, they're all like stripped of all their their piercings and their jewelry, and Penny remains so in this episode. Um, and I noticed it for the first time. Like I noticed that he wasn't wearing any jewelry, and he he like goes back to his normal clothes in a lot of ways. He wears like a vest, and he's like a little bit more buttoned up. Like I think he I think he has a vest over a t shirt, so not like fully bare chested. And then he's in the hospital, and he's wearing a t shirt. Um, but he still like is sort of doing his normal thing. Except for the jewelry. No more jewelry. Just kind of like back to basics. hmm Did you notice it this time too, or were you... No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. I just always don't look for it. I really need to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, it's really subtle. Um, I'm so interested. I really hope we can get Muggly on the show because I... I want to know everything that we're not picking up. Like, I feel like I'm picking up more now, like, since Arjun told us that. But I feel like there's so much that we miss um, about the way that, like, the fashion um, affects characterization.
0: There isn't a whole lot of fashion choices in this episode.
1: No, there weren't a ton. I really liked the way Julia's dressed in rehab. Like, both the maxi dress... Which is I amazing. Love to see,
0: I love seeing her hair up for some reason, like in a bun. Yeah,
1: she looks like a ballerina in that first scene, like with just the like white boat neck um, t shirt and the like the cropped jeans.
0: Mm-hmm. She looks. She looks really like clean. I guess she does. Yeah, nice.
1: Uh, <laughs> that was I probably do, intentional.
0: I do love the the floating scene, like what she's wearing. Mm. Like normally, I wouldn't be. Like, I'm not really big into that, but just the way that it flows in that scene, it yeah. does make me think something. It's definitely some religious imagery for sure, though.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's interesting because that's also not something that Julia would normally wear. Like, she doesn't wear dresses very often at all. And when she does, they're not that kind of dress. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to see her, right? Like, this is also, I think, probably part of her version of being clean. And it becomes, like you said, this religious imagery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it also just looks great <laughs> when she's like floating off the ground in it <laughs> the other dress that I noticed was Alice has that like amazing black dress with the like built in choker type thing choker collar um in like a couple scenes but that's minor that's just something that I enjoyed more than it is anything else oh and then like Dean Fogg um he's dressed a little schlubbier than normal um and I don't know if that was intentional because he can't see and he's still figuring it out. He, like, gets back to his to his normal way of dressing later. Um, or if it was just I'm that sure he's in this, like, fuck it mood about everything. <laughs> there was something that I noticed that wasn't fashion but that was, like, set dressing. Because this is, I think, like, only, like, the second or third time we've seen Alice's room at Breakbills. Yeah. Is this the um, one where
0: they walk up to her room? Though? No, no, that was a few episodes before. <laughs> it's so crazy. There's like an outside entrance to her room.
1: Yeah, but also like her room is so her. It's got this like cute little bookcase and she's got decorations on the door and on the wall. I don't think the coloring is very her though. The like yellow and blue or? like Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you that like the color on the door wasn't, but I felt like it looked like a lot. Of, it looked like kids storybook in a lot of ways. Yeah, not the coloring, but like I don't know. I really liked her bookcase and her little bed, and <laughs> I don't know. It seemed very Alice to me. Um, but yeah, I don't have much for fashion. <laughs> I still
0: want to know why they they live in live there because even Katie actually <laughs> I guess doesn't live there, and Penny doesn't live in his house, but those two for some fucking reason live there.
1: I don't know. I think Penny might live in his house, and he just doesn't ever want to be there, or maybe he no, like he Penny's still space. in the
0: in the dorm.
1: Oh, you're right, when they go in there. I wonder why that is. I I like to think that it's just, well, maybe it's because his discipline is special. He doesn't, like, he sort of stops having a house.
0: I like to think that they did skip a year and no one else did. But, Mm -hmm. like, just because it's the only thing that makes any sense because the other ones keep calling themselves first years, like, over and over again. (sighs) But you don't hear them ever, ever say
1: anything. Yeah, maybe I'm. In, I'm into that theory. Uh, listeners, no you should idea. tweet us and tell us what you think. Why is Penny still in? <laughs> why, why are Why are Alice and Quentin in the cottage and everybody else isn't?
0: <laughs> yeah, did they just like have room?
1: <laughs> that is like in the books. That's why Quentin ends up in the physical kids is because they can't find his discipline. In, well, I guess in the show too, right? Like, and they're just like, ah, they got room here.
0: Yeah. But clearly like there's a lot of physical kids. That's like the thing that's weird about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Anything else you wanna say about the episode about fashion? No. I think we they <laughs> we were covered there. It. I think so. All right. <laughs> um, okay then. Who's your MVP for this episode?
0: I feel like it's a toss up for me between Hale just for his beautiful performance and and probably Stella.
1: I have I have uh, pretty much the same one. So I, I it was like a kind of a three-way tie for me, like between Hale and Stella and Arjun. Um I think in the end I'm gonna go with Stella for this one. Um because I think she does such an amazing job with this material and uh even like down to her movement, like the way that she moves in this episode was notable to me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna give it to Stella. Uh episode rating. Let's see. Probably a 7 out of 10. I have the exact same thing written down. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 7 out of 10 it is. Um, I like how you,
0: like, totally think about it forever, and I'm always just, like, on the fly giving ratings.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's good. You you have this, like, good, pure uh, approach to it, and I'm just, like, uh, I'm, like, I've always thought it through. <laughs> I, just, I don't know if I mentioned this. Uh, I found a, like, so, so for those of you who don't know, I got into Hamilton recently, which I know I'm, like, late to the party and everything. Um, but I saw it in person before I um, got to, like, before I, like, listened to it. Um, and partly it was because I knew I was going to see it in person. I was like, oh, I got to wait. Um, so, I recently took a, like, which Hamilton character are you quiz? And I got Burr, which is predictable. <laughs> and I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs>
0: I don't think I've taken that one. That's
1: I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. You can tell everyone your results next week. <laughs> oh, so um, I want to, I want to give a really quick shout out to to thank our listeners for helping out with our Todd on Pod campaign uh, today. Adam DeMarco got in touch with me, and we are we are working on scheduling to try to get him on the podcast as soon as possible. So thank you for your support, um, and thank you to Adam for agreeing to come on the show. We'll hopefully have something for you soon. I'm so stoked. Yeah. Uh I think <laughs> did you listen did you get to listen to the to the last podcast yet? No. Um the end is just 30 straight seconds of uh every single time we said Todd on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like something Maddie would do. Yeah, uh definitely getting that for a ringtone too. So <laughs> All right, thanks, listeners. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. I don't know why I waved. <laughs> Mind slide. Hit. (laughs) I'm an adult.